I'm just trying to imagine old timey Alexis being like, ah, get me a hundred shares of GameStop. And the guy being like, you sure you want to do that? I think that's a terrible idea. <laughs> uh, don't tell me what to do. I believe in GameStop. Put your money where the movement is. I'm community. Hey, I'm Michael. I'm Capital. So something like that. We are recording. Thumbs up. How's it going, man? Not bad. My uh, AMC stock is doing really well today. Up 20-something <laughs> percent. So what, what are the stats today? All I know is it's up 21%. What's it trading at right now? Up to $32 a share. Um, and this is pre-market trading. So it's up 20. Yeah, this is on pre-market. I forgot. I'm living in the future right now. So I just naively assumed that the markets were open, but they're not because I'm here in Europe. So should I put my entire 401k in it? Ooh, this, none of this is financial advice, of course. <laughs> Disclaimer. I, look, I appreciate the fact all this stuff's changing. I think we're, we're both in accord there. You know, I pulled aside. I think I actually did one of my uh, Dogecoin purchases live on our pod. And, you know, so far, I'm not regretting it. When you think about where all this stuff is headed, what's, uh, what's got you excited right now, aside from the potential AMC short squeeze, which everyone is now watching and waiting for with bated breath? Oh, man, that, that is fascinating, though, because it just shows you, like, the retail investor actually does have a lot more power than we might think. And now they're obviously being aggregated and organized. In various ways and online communities. Discord has their chat groups. Reddit obviously came into the picture with GameStop and, and all of that. There's both sides of that, right? Like though, so it's great that investors are able to get access to information. It's great that they're able to decide what they want to invest in and then maybe, you know, maybe understand things in a way that a more traditional investor may not. I think there's a downside to it and it can rear its ugly head in the sense that like if certain people have information before others, then and then they decide to sell, and then it's the individual investors who are part of the follower group in the community end up losing out as a result of that, and that's not a great thing. But no, I think more broadly, I do think that this is exactly why we, in many respects, created community times capital, which is because mm. you have all sorts of assets, whether it's could be GameStop, it could be AMC, but I think it's also assets that have real cultural significance. So it's sports cards, it's startups where people want to invest into things that they really care about and are passionate about. I think Lior from Alt has said this, it's interest-based or passion-based investing. And people actually want to invest into things they care about. And in some ways, you can go on you can go on so rare. Somebody who's a huge football fan, they know that Kylian Mbappe is one of the best players in the world. That may have real value to them, and they may know that that has value to other football fans in the world. So who's to say that they shouldn't be investing in that? And while it's a speculative asset, again, why can't that be part of somebody's portfolio? Because they're going to be as well-informed as someone who you know, worked in an art gallery and is an absolute subject matter expert in art and decides to purchase a piece of art. So related to this, are you a member of the Wall Street Bets community? I am not a member of the WSB community. Okay. Okay. Just curious. What, uh, so what are you thinking, man? What do you, what do you want to talk about today? You're in Europe now and it's been fascinating to see. I just got off a call with a founder in Africa. Uh, I'm sitting here in outside of DC and like <clears throat> you can invest anywhere now. 
right? You can see cities, whether it's Miami is starting to have a renaissance. Uh, people are calling it the capital of capital, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, and maybe for good reason, right? There is capital coming to the community. There's entrepreneurs coming to the community. You got to come down. I absolutely will. I'm actually coming down next week. So it's, uh, it's the, the, the Bitcoin conference. Crypto. So I'm going to, I'm going to use that as a chance to spend some time in Miami and, and, and just really soak up the, the startup scene. Cause I think about these different cities. I mean, and you're in Europe as well, right? You've been in Europe for a little while. Europe is going through an absolute Cambrian explosion right now within the startup world. Not surprising. I mean, there's been great European companies for, for some time, but you know, what does it really take to make a great startup city or a great startup ecosystem? Because I think we've been seeing the decentralization of Silicon Valley, just as we've seen kind of the decentralization of all sorts of networks, physical or online, through crypto communities, et cetera. So is, is this following the same path that many of these other kind of decentralized networks have been building over the past five, 10 years? I, I think for sure. And I, I wish I could show you around, but I will be in Europe. <laughs> I mean, we've seen it move quick. And, you know, there was a startup community for a number of years in Miami. I remember first visiting uh, 2013, 2014. I spoke at the University of Miami at the U uh, for a conference. It's like Ref Refresh Miami, I think was the name of the summit. Or and, and, you know, the tech scene there was still pretty nascent and moved there about four years ago now and have watched it steadily grow. But then COVID, right, takes it to the moon. Everyone wants to be in South Florida. There's space. You can buy a home. You can just have a very different lifestyle. And a ton of folks started showing up. And my, my wife actually was like, I told you so. Because for years, I, I had said, there's no way I could live here full time. Like, there's just not enough of a tech community, yada, yada, yada. But she she was right. Just backed or just announced a, a company that we had backed called Quicknode, um, which is like a bunch of OG Florida tech, Miami tech founders, and and a great crypto business. They're building the, the picks and shovels of infrastructure to support this Web3 world that so many people are building on. And, and really, the last thing they want to be doing is worrying about a lot of the boring infrastructure part. Kind of like 2005, we're starting Reddit. We had to order servers off of Newegg back then and assemble them and then put them in a colo facility. And that was terrible. This is before Amazon Web Services. And, you know, now you can't even imagine building a website without some hosting provider to help you get started faster. And, and that's the same same opportunity that QuickNote is seeing only with Web3. And they've seen huge growth in the last three, four months in particular, just massive, massive growth uh, of revenue and usage. And so to your point, if you would ask me five years ago, do you think you would be investing in, I now have three Florida-based companies in the portfolio I would have said maybe one, whereas now I could easily see myself investing in one a year at least. And and now you're right. You know, the geography matters, but in, in very different ways than it used to. It's more about like, how do you build an org that has a team maybe that's distributed, right? You still can't escape time zones, but it's certainly not a limiting agent for us as investors. Like we're, we're willing to talk to founders who are based really anywhere. Well, there's two sides to that. So I think certainly COVID has opened up a lot of investors' eyes, mine included, although we have invested a lot in places like LATAM pre-COVID. But now the medium is totally the same. It's over video. So at early stages, you're often talking to founders all over the world, and that's totally fine. But there is a school of thought, or there has been a school of thought, that 
you know, particularly if you want to be heavily involved in a company, number one, and to be able to help recruit for the company from local networks of other great startups or other great larger companies, that like that's why you create that's why you invest within a the bike driving radius of the ability to kind of go see your companies, help them and recruit talent from that ecosystem. So like how do you think that will change in a world that may be remote first? I mean, do you think that younger investors or people who will start to invest over the next five to ten years having had remote work experiences, maybe worked at companies like Coinbase has decided to be remote. I think Twitter's decided to be remote. Like if these people have actually worked in companies as remote employees, do you think if they ever became investors, they may have a different mindset than maybe the prior generation of Silicon Valley investors who thought often thought it was very important to be able to ride a bike to the startup that they invested in, sit on the board, things like that? I think there is there's a new generation of up-and-coming VCs that just have this worldview. They don't need to have necessarily come up in a remote-first environment. They just need to have started writing checks really in the last couple of years where reputation, especially individual reputation, started mattering so, so, so much. At the end of the day, what is that? That's you know the track record of the, the, the person you are and the work that you do. That's the reputation you have. You throw COVID into the mix and it just accelerates the importance of the the importance of having a reputation that sort of precedes you, the importance of being someone who people wanna work with and wanna recommend that other people work with. Because now those connections get made so much faster because it's all digital. And and I don't think we go back. It's wild to see. We were talking about Republic before we started rolling the cameras. There are people who are gonna make amazing careers for themselves doing investing in startups where they actually never even meet the founders, right? There are people who are going to be amazing early stage investors. And this is going to seem like blasphemy because our LPs expect us to meet the founders, know the founders, work with the founders, et cetera. There are people who are going to be amazing at this job without ever meeting a founder face to face, not even on Hangout or Zoom. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? And I say that both for the investors and the founders, because in some senses that kind of distills early stage investing down to stock picking <laughs> rather than the artisanal craft of helping a company and being able to share input. Now, not to say that you can't do that digitally, but it's but it is different to your point than actually spending time with a business helping a founder than it is just saying, I'm just going to invest into early stage companies and kind of pick stocks effectively. Just they happen to be in the private market. I I certainly believe our careers are safe, not just that it's good self-preservation. I think for the kind of high touch value that certain investors can provide, that's that's always going to be valuable. That's always going to make, that's always going to give us a kind of an advantage. When I initially was thinking about that, I wasn't imagining a world where people were leading rounds doing this. I don't know. That feels like more of a stretch. I'm sure it'll happen. But I think that the slam dunk version of this is just a company opens up a portion of its raise or a company is just fundraising and, you know, is leaving room for strategic investors who get a chance to see great deals. And because they have a good reputation, they get to keep seeing good deals. And if they keep doing good work, they'll keep seeing more. And then they end up with a portfolio in 10 years where you're like, oh, wow, you were just hanging out in your room in Prague and you had this amazing deal flow 
and founders seem to really like you. You know, that is the exception, not the rule. But uh, but I think it's a good thing. I think the, the more good investors, the better at the end of the day. So I guess how does um, the notion of networks play a role in this and proximity to a specific place to be able to build relationships with other founders or investors to be able to do exactly what you're saying, like be in the right networks, get into the right deals. So I think we are going to move into a world with much more efficient, weak networks. And I actually, and this is, again, I'm really kind of talking up my own book here because I think one of the advantages I've had over the last 10 years is spending a lot of time in a lot of different communities, whether it's geographically or industry. And so if I look at the network of my relationships, say in Cerebro, our operating system, it is pretty diverse. And as software gets better and better for us to maintain those things, and so an example that might be tech Twitter, an example that might be LinkedIn, an example that is the stuff that hasn't gotten built yet that's going to be way more efficient, that will let us dip into, right, maybe it's our Telegram community, maybe it's that WhatsApp group chat we started at the last crypto conference, like that would be Signal or Telegram, so we definitely would not be uh, WhatsApp. But you see what I'm saying? We're going to have better infrastructure to have these weak ties and these weak ties are going to be the source of lots of really useful information, deal flow, connections. And so I actually think that's a prototype for, for how to be more effective going forward. And so I think it'll still matter. It'll still be relevant for people to get together, break bread, have a good time. But they'll be a lot more deliberate about that. And I think a lot more picky about that. Do you think that the same level of trust can be built totally online, like investor to founder? Or investor to investor, it's important, like, you know, your investor group and like you trust each other and, and that you so, so, you know, like you're being good stewards of capital together. I think so. I'm really my initial reaction is no, it needs to be in person. But then I'm like, okay, I feel that way because that's how I've grown up. And that's my bias. I think it will be possible. Again, the tools we're using right now are really antiquated, and they're going to be much better in five years and 10 years, you could look at I'm um, an online dating. I mean, it was also the number of people who are okay with it. But like 15 years ago, when I was going on OkCupid, it was very different in lots of ways than say today. I'm not going on dating apps, obviously. But for someone who's firing up one of 100 different dating apps they can choose from for whatever they're into, like that's an example of how technology has now normalized this behavior, made it much more efficient. And okay, that's one form of matchmaking. I mean, look, we've never met in real life, right? We've never met offline. And I don't even like saying real life because this is real life, <laughs> but we've not met offline. I, okay, I think it will be harder for people who don't have, who are earlier in their careers, don't necessarily have the track record because then you won't have as much kind of like reputational cred. But I still think it's going to be possible. I still think the tool is going to get better. It's going to get more normalized. I mean, don't you feel like, hey, look at look at the deals that get done now and certainly over COVID through a Zoom call. That's real. I, we've made a number of investments uh, internationally, too. So we have five companies in Asia. We have 10 in LATAM. And we're looking at uh, other parts of the world. And um, all of the investments that we've made over COVID, we have not met the founders. I'm supposing this. I don't know for a fact. But the relationships we've built with those founders, I think, are as strong as some of the relationships we've had with other in-person founders. Now, I do think particularly in places like 
Latin American. I actually had a great conversation uh, with Marianne Azevedo from TechCrunch about this the other day, and she tweeted about it. But particularly in a place like LATAM, where the like the culture is one of trust and needing to build relationships and meet people, I think it's really important to make that effort to go down. And pre-COVID, I was going down to Mexico and, and Brazil a lot to do that. And I think that was actually really important. But at the same time, I mean, we have a number of founders where I've, I've never met them in person. Like you said, we've never met in person yet. I feel like, you know, we've developed a pretty, a pretty strong relationship and, and it can absolutely work where you, you, you can actually build these on online relationships that there you go. may be as strong as offline relationships. And, and I think maybe the, then, then the in-person ends up supplementing that. But it is interesting to think about, though, from the perspective of like career development, like, do you need to be in a specific place? And maybe this is more important for the operator than the investor. But like, if you were on the startup side and either founding a company or, or wanted to be in the startup ecosystem, how important would it be for you to be in, an, in a physical ecosystem or network where you were around other people building like in the Bay Area or now maybe in Miami or wherever that may be? I will say it was very helpful to be in, at the time it was Boston for Y Combinator starting Reddit because it was 2005, no one was starting a startup it was special to have like a dozen other kids who were also building, doing this crazy thing for the camaraderie, for the motivation, for all that stuff. It is getting increasingly possible to find those types of communities. Lots of, I mean, every college town, every primary, secondary, tertiary city in the world has some version of that now. If I were giving advice to my younger self or maybe a, a class of 2021 UVA graduate, I would say that you should optimize for your quality of life first and foremost, and really choose a place that you want to live because you want to live there. And then make sure it passes, if you want to do startups, then make sure that it passes muster for having some kind of startup community. Maybe you prefer the Miami lifestyle. Maybe you prefer Denver or Boulder. Like whatever the vibe is you want, you could probably find a startup community there now. And these days, I don't think you're hurting yourself all that much, especially, I don't. Even, I, I think you're helping yourself, especially given the exodus we're seeing from traditional tech locations to these like sort of sec historically secondary and even tertiary tech communities where people just want better quality of life. They want a bigger house. They want a yard, et cetera. So that's That's going to keep going. How do you feel outside of DC? Well, first of all, I, I love this area. I grew up, I grew up around here. Um, you're a Maryland guy too. I, I think there's a few fascinating things about Maryland. So one is in a totally remote environment, to your point, I think we can do anything. And, and I will say there's something to be said for being outside of the eye of the storm as an investor. Now, if I was still in the startup world, I think it would be helpful for me to be with other people physically in, in a city with a lot of other startups. Cause I could learn from them, spend time with them, build those relationships. And even, I mean, last company I was at I capital still friends with a lot of those early employees. I mean, I was number eight there, like still friends with a lot of the early people there. And actually one of those, one of those early employees now is the COO of one of our companies, you know? So, so I think like that kind of thing is really important when you're on the operating side, on the investing side, I think there's actually something to be said for being outside of the eye of the storm because it gives you time to think. And I think if COVID from the investor perspective did anything, it was gave us a chance to actually spend time and think and not have to feel the pressure of going to meet people all the time, which in early stage VC can be important, but I think sometimes can be 
a little bit overrated. You don't need to go to every event. You don't need to meet people all the time. Sometimes you actually just need to think and not drink from a fire hose. So start a podcast. <laughs> start making content. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, you're being outward facing. I, I do think like the, the ability to share your thoughts with the world and create content rather than feel the need to have to just be consistently meeting with people that can be just as valuable in the sense of embedding yourself in a network. I mean, look at look at the likes of Twitter or any of these social online social networks. They have totally democratized access to information and they've also democratized access to talent because now people are able to show who they are without people thinking that they are a certain way or being boxed into something based on solely human interaction. Now, there's again, there's some downsides to that too. But I think for the most part, like from an investor perspective, that can be that can be a good thing. I think the other interesting thing I'll say about DC is like most people don't think of DC as a tech ecosystem, but if you think about it, like AOL were created in, in DC in the 90s. A lot of the infrastructure for the internet Nova. was created here. So it's fascinating that it never became that other Silicon Valley or the East Coast Silicon Valley when it clearly had some of the potential to do so. It was the vibe, man. Miami was not a credible tech location until last year. And, and the, the mayor made the meme. And here we are. It's real. So I think DC could do it. I don't know how that would work. Because you also have different, right? You've got different constituents. You have Maryland, you have Virginia, you have the district. Like DMV is like our little, whatever, I'm not ours, but like it's the region's like meme, but it's not a cohesive unit. What does it take to make the ingredients of a startup city? Like Miami created the meme, but they had to have something there to be able to create the meme. Just like Silicon Valley has its own yeah. memes. Now, maybe, you know, people are making fun of it to some extent, but like they have a meme. Did you see the right? one? Did you see the before and after? Like before I came to Silicon Valley, what I imagined it looked like. And it's the futuristic city meme. And then what I got when I when I got there. And it's just like it's a like it's a sad looking office park, which is really what Silicon Valley <laughs> looks like. So to your point, what did Miami have going for it? Miami had a very desirable quality of life at a time when everyone was stuck inside. And then a really aggressive mayor who said, I want to make it as amazing a place for tech as possible at a time when the Bay Area was, in a lot of ways, making it as, as sort of difficult as possible for the tech community, whether it was uh, nimbyism or just generally these anti-tech attitudes. I'm trying to imagine what the DC version of this, like, okay, the Baltimore version of this is like, it's the beer, beer, crabs and football meme of like, here's a blue collar city. Do you think that companies take on the persona of their city, much like sports teams often take on the persona of their city? Like Baltimore's Baltimore Ravens are a very blue collar team, right? Like, and, and they, they work hard, they do things the right way and they just play smash mouth football and they win. Right. Yeah. And that works for that city. And it and it's very aligned Steelers with that city. Same have with Pittsburgh, the same vibe Pittsburgh too. Steelers. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's the same with with startups and how they think about that with with kind of how they take on the persona of that city as well? I think it can be. It certainly depends a lot on the leadership and like what Kool-Aid they're drinking from. But but I see that. I see that energy as you talk about it. And and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where those startups that are emblematic of the city start to inform how new startups behave. It'll be interesting to see how it goes with Miami, where you had an existing startup scene, then you had transplants coming in and what that dynamic is going to look like. Uh, I don't know. 
And and meanwhile, I'm still trying to figure out what the DC version of this is, because you just have to wind back all of the sort of government defense vibe. And uh, I don't know, maybe you're the guy to do it. Someone's got to do it. Gosh, no, I mean, there, there's people like Steve Case and, and <clears throat> Ted Leonsis at Revolution have have built a great Doing fund great out of D.C. Nigel Morris and Raz Frank Robin at QED. Like, they've done it. And, I mean, he, I, he said this before, like, people aren't riding bikes to pitch him in Alexandria, Virginia uh, at QED, but yet they've invested in many of the top <laughs> fintech companies globally. Yeah. So it, it, I think it can, it doesn't have to hurt you. I, although I do, at times, I think for particularly the younger people in startup ecosystems, whether it be founders, employees, or investors, I think they do yearn for some level of connection and hope to like actually meet in person. And that's where I think like DC falls short in that regard from a startup perspective. Now, there, there is stuff going on. I don't want to say that there's not, uh, but it hasn't kind of caught fire in the same way other cities. I mean, look, it's not just the Bay Area. It's LA. It's New York. It's Miami. It's Austin. It's Denver. It's, you know, you know, there's so many different cities that are actually building out relatively strong startup hubs. And, and, you know, you look at some of these cities, I mean, Seattle has big incumbents, Microsoft, Amazon, which I think help the ecosystem in some senses, because there's money for angel investors. There's people who spin out of those, those bigger companies, but then it also hurts it because Amazon and Microsoft can just pay people more and then it's harder to leave that great job and it, and it's 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 a opportunity cost particularly if you have family kids and obligations so it's interesting to think about like what what it takes to create that great ecosystem for building the kind of startups and what has to come like what has to come first do you think is it the community and like highly engaged networks of of builders and operators or is it the capital that comes first you need enough of a community there but there is this need of a of a foundational community that's got to be there that's connected that's building and then yeah you bring in the capital and and credible company builders um but now what happens in a in a distributed world or in an increasingly more distributed world where access to capital is greater, you might actually really just need the community physically there. The capital can just be flown in or wired in. The, the physical space is where it's at. Now, we haven't even talked about the Web3 version of this, which lives in like DAOs and where, you know, you actually are, are now really just building community without physical presence, but on Discord or in a Telegram group. And that's absolutely, I mean, I, I just joined my first DAO. I'm very excited. Uh, it feels like a moment. And I think it's just, just the start of a whole nother world. So in these virtual communities, what comes first or what are the elements of building a, a startup ecosystem in those worlds? Ooh, people, again, I think it starts like you need, you need the talented people who are actually building real stuff. They don't have to necessarily be community builders themselves. You got to have at least a couple because there's always one or two people doing the work of like, really driving home the values of the community and, and coordinating all that stuff. But um, yeah, you still need the raw materials of people for the time being until they're replaced by AI. And then DAOs are just going to automate just all of make that money and build things and yeah, decide to buy one FT, one FT or another. And then we can just sit back sit back and relax. Yeah. I think that's how it ends up. <laughs> so, so we're, we're going to automate investors out of a job then. I keep thinking, this stuff won't happen. And then I keep getting impressed by another demo where that, that just moves forward. Now you've got 
I mean, even the the research from OpenAI and, and GPT-3 is now leading to software that can kind of write itself. So you're not just writing like an essay, you're writing code way more efficiently using AI. I think there's probably always going to be some hope for us, some place for us, but it becomes much more boutique. It, the, the things that are left to human creativity and imagination, the, the whatever the last domains of things that are still re, like remarkably human. Um, and I think understanding what drives community is maybe one of those last things to get solved. And in the meantime, we're just at the will of the mob. So that still needs to be funded by humans. I mean, I don't know. Let me check my let me check my shares of GameStop and AMC, and then I'll get back to you on what I think. Is <laughs> <laughs> well, the community is funding that, right? That, that's that's why that's really why the is. price is going up. The market. All right, we're down. Oh, we started out down today. All right, it's okay. It's okay. Oh no, no, here we go. Sorry, just kidding. It was just reloading. AMC. Wait, it's really up twenty. Wow, yeah, up twenty seven percent right now. When the market goes, when the the orders, the pre-market stuff, before computers, could you do pre-market trading? And if so, would you just leave like a post-it note on someone's desk? <laughs> like what did, what did pre-market trading look like before software? No, you get uh, pigeon carriers. Ah, that makes sense. <laughs> what if the pigeon gets no, lost? No, you did, it, you did it on the floor. I mean, people can put in orders before the market. It's just you. you what if there's no that... one there? Wait, what if it's two in the morning? What if it's two in the morning and you're like, oh, I got to buy some Coca-Cola? What do you do? In the days like of the stock exchanges, I mean, literally you have people on the exchange. Now they'd get there early and you could put in an order for the market, like at the time of the market. I wasn't, I wasn't there. I mean, I obviously was not, not on Wall Street. I have, <laughs> I have friends who were in the pits. Oh, right. Okay. So they, they would probably, uh, they, they would probably have some, some interesting war stories of, of those days, but no, but you can put in, I mean, you could put in an order. This would just be all manual, right? I mean, you would, you'd have to call somebody up. You'd have to tell that person on the floor, like, Hey, I want to put in this order. And then you put that order in and you hope that it gets, you hope that it gets executed right at the time, right at the time of marketing. Wait, but then you, okay. And then Oh, that's wild. Gosh, I just I can't unsee it all being ones and zeros. And I'm just trying to imagine old timey Alexis being like, ah, get me 100 shares of GameStop. And the guy being like, you sure you want to do that? I think that's a terrible idea. <laughs> uh, don't tell me what to do. I believe in GameStop. And, and now I can just I can like marketers have to be open. I can just be hanging out. I could be lying in bed, wake up two in the morning, take out my phone. It's magic. What could go wrong? Well, this is the power <laughs> of both community and crypto, right? So community in the sense that crypto market you can crazy. actually aggregate people's views, beliefs, and even to some extent religion, right? That extends to crypto very much so. Oh, and yes. Crypto is a 24-7 market where people can trade at any time, any day, including weekends. You know, I mean, that that actually does change the game when it comes to, you know, when it comes to the financialization of these markets. So I think from from that perspective, you know, absolutely, you know, mm -hmm. technology has changed the game. I mean, I think we've even even prior to the advent of things like the crypto markets, the kind of electronification of traditional equity and fixed income markets has actually changed the game a lot, right? I mean, it's, it's, mm. it's electronic trading 
platforms or high frequency traders that are really the ones trading in the market. I mean, retail investors or individual investors are often like they, they are investing and they're using retail brokerage apps, you know, public, Robinhood, E-Trade, um, interactive brokers, whatever it may be. And it's not to say that they shouldn't do that, but I mean, I, I personally don't trade a lot because I know that I'm never going to no. be as smart or as fast as those high frequency traders, right? I mean, it's, I, I can't beat computers. I can't beat the speed of computers. This is not always the case, but there are literally real estate plays where certain high frequency trading shops want to be as close to the exchanges as possible because then the data feeds oh, come in like geographically close. Yes, yeah. Because yeah. You, you want the you want the speed has to be instantaneous and it's literally it's literally this kind of to the nth degree, but the same as like that split second in a hundred meter race or mm. the Olympics where like Michael Phelps beats somebody by that split split second. That's the difference between making or losing hundreds of millions of dollars. Well on that note, I, I will just say I bet when they're playing Call of Duty from that office, they have some really good pings. They, they probably do. <laughs> they just sit back and let let the technology work its magic. Win on ping. Um, awesome. All right. Well, always good, man. I, uh, I'm going to go do some office hours. We didn't even talk about so rare this time. We'll talk about it next time. That's, we'll talk about it next time. I think that deserves its own episode. It does. 